Hello and welcome to the Scattered Abroad Joint Podcast. We are coming to you today from Polishing the Pulpit. And guys, this is a really, really exciting uh, for me. I know it is for you as well. Uh, but we are now in Season 3. This is Episode 4. And we are just extremely grateful for the Lord's blessings on this network and thankful for you for listening today. Now, our season uh, is entitled Behold Our God. And today's episode is all about beholding our God and His mercy one of the great qualities of our God. And so we want to open this up by defining terms. So guys, I kind of want to open it up to you. How does the Bible, and we word that specifically, not the world, but how does the Bible define mercy? Well, I think interesting, a interesting verse to look at in reference to this topic of looking at the mercy of God is Psalm 51. Looking at the mercy of God through the eyes of someone who's seeking it. And you look through that entire passage and we see throughout the scriptures of the attitude that David had and what he had done, what he had been through and how he had seen what was wrong. He had known what he had done wrong. Nathan, the prophet had told him, thou art the man. And I I think about a little bit later on in the chapter, verse 14, he says, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The attitude that David has is literally the mercy of God is deliverance from guilt. Not having to have that guilt over him and standing over him saying, you're the one who did this. He can have that removed from him. So when I I think about the term mercy, it carries with it this idea of removing that guilt. I'm no longer in that position that I was before. That's a great way to put it. And really, you mentioned Psalm 51, one of the best psalms, one of the best descriptions of it. But basically from that, you're guilty and you're in need of something. Mm -hmm. And only God can provide what you really need. It's interesting. The first time we see the term mercy in the New King James Version of the Bible is not until Genesis 19, 19, where Lot is talking and basically saying to God, indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight. You've increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains lest some evil overtake me and I die. And he basically says, well, you need to go because I can't destroy Sodom until you leave. And when you study Genesis 18, you see Lot start to, first of all, try to keep the men that we know to be angels as we read and discover the text. He believes they're just men, and he basically says, hey, you don't need to be out in, in the middle of the city at night. We need to get you in somewhere. And then he, they were like, no, we'll, we'll just we'll just kind of you know, walk around and see what happens. Yeah. And he goes, no, it's not safe out here. Get inside. And then when he gets inside with these men and the men of Sodom come to try to take them to know them carnally the new king james talks about and the kjv says as well i believe lot says well i've got two daughters why don't you take them what kind of father lot shows himself to be by offering up his own daughters and so he's guilty he's not as guilty as sodom is itself but he's guilty of trying to basically pass off his daughters as payment Mm -hmm. so that the men would leave these two other men alone that we know to be angels and here he is in Genesis 19, our first reference specifically to the term mercy. But I would actually say we say mercy and grace are synonymous, and therefore really the first time we ever see it is Genesis 6-8. That's right. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He found favor because we're told all of the world was wicked. Noah was a just man, a righteous man, a man that God was able to say, maybe there's something salvageable here. Maybe I can mm-hmm. take this and I can show mercy to the man to mankind in one area there's this family there's eight people they'll they'll be able to repopulate the earth and so we have the very first time god looked at something and said i could just scrap the whole thing and 
he says for one person, I'm not going to do it. You know, and it's interesting. You, you bring up Noah and, you know, Noah was righteous and he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But also there's a passage in Second Peter, Second Peter 2, verse 7, talks about righteous Lot who was delivered from that situation. And we think about some of the things that Lot did. I mean, you go all the way back to the poor decision of choosing that area in the first place. And it was a very unwise decision that led him and his family to be in that situation around those sinful people. But, uh, and of course, you mentioned uh, the situation with his daughters. And of course, we know what happens later with his daughters as well between his daughters and himself. And we look at those terrible things that Lot did in his life. But the overall picture, when you bring in Second Peter 2, verse 7, shows that overall he was trying his best to live righteously. And when we talk about kind of a classic definition, if you will, mm-hmm. of uh, mercy, you can really define it by three words, withholding punishment due. And when you look at the mistakes that Lot made, or Noah for that matter, Noah right after the ark got drunk. Right. Uh, there, you know, look at Hebrews chapter 11. You see all kinds of imperfect men, but they're living faithfully. They're trying their best to live faithfully. You see their mistakes though. And at the end of the day, all of us deserve punishment, but mercy is withholding that punishment that we do deserve. Well, and I mentioned this in the episode when we talked about justice, the amount of times we find justice throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, we find the term mercy in 215 verses. In the New Testament, we find mercy found in 54. And I think there's a reason for that because we're told in Romans 7, we've mentioned this before on the podcast, but we're told in Romans 7, we had a law that man couldn't keep, not because man was just a no good, dirty sinner from the beginning, but because man's not a perfect being. Man is imperfect, the law expected perfection. I think one of the reasons why you can find mercy so often in the Old Testament is it was desperately needed often way more often than that one final sacrifice that provided mercy for all mankind that gave hope for everybody because Jesus came and died on the cross. But prior to that, the book of Judges alone is a litmus test for how mercy can be shown when it was not deserved. Right. And mercy over and over again, God could have said after the first or second time that the Israelites did what we call to be the sin cycle of the book of Judges. God could have said, you know what? you're not sincere. I'm done. I'm not going to be merciful anymore. I'm not going to send a judge that will deliver you. But he kept doing it. And like you said, it's it's keeping punishment from being due. It's right. basically saying, I know you deserve this, but I'm going to give you this instead. And years ago, I was in trouble for something. And my dad asked me, Michael, what is grace? And I said, I, I don't know. And he says, it's unmerited favor. It's something that you don't deserve, but you get anyway. And so I'm going to show mercy, which is similar to grace, and allow you to not be grounded anymore. You can go with us to what we're going to do this afternoon as a family. You don't have to stay here by yourself because you're you're in trouble. I should have stayed in trouble, but mercy was shown. Right. And only the person who has the ability to pardon us can show us that mercy. Absolutely. And when we reflect on the mercy that has been shown to us, it should cause us to have a merciful heart as well. Luke uh, 6, verses 32 through 36 says, But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? 
For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back, but love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. In verse 36, therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. That's a great way to put it. And really, we talk about this season, beholding our God and his mercy. Kind of what all of y'all have been saying, you put that together. Somebody's guilty, guilty as charged, and only God is the true source to say, I can make things better. And only by his mercies are we not consumed. We find that in Lamentations chapter 3. Yep. But thinking about some of the descriptions of God. You know, God is the father of mercies, 2 Corinthians 1.3. Uh, we were dead in sins, but God who is rich in mercy. That's Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, Psalm 86. He's abundant in mercy. So we behold our God in his mercy. That ought to make us extremely grateful and humbled by the fact, like Michael, what you just said, we, we deserve death, really. Romans 6.23, that's the wages of sin. Yeah. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent Jesus to die for us uh, so we can be uh, pardoned from that. That's in, just incredible. So yeah. now as we, we, we think about mercy, it's a description of God. It's something that he blesses us with and gives us. We turn it around and ask this question. And again, if we ask the world this, we might get a different answer. But is mercy a sign of weakness? Yes, but uh, not on who we think. It's a sign of weakness on man's part. Mercy is only needed because man is weak. Mercy is only needed because man messes up. If we look back in the Garden of Eden, where was the mercy in Genesis chapter 1 and 2? There was none. There was none needed. Everything that God had created was good. It was acceptable. It was not until man made a mistake that mercy was needed, wherein we find in Genesis 3.15 even, the first overall idea of mercy. It'll bruise your heel, but he's going to bruise your head. You're going to die. You're not going to have a a blow that will not be delivered that won't be a death blow. You're going to have a big suffering from what you've done. That's the first time mercy is really talked about in the Bible, Mm -hmm. but it's not said specifically. It's an overall theme, and it's because man was weak. Right. And so, yes, mercy is a sign of weakness, but not on God's part. Mercy is a sign of weakness because man needed it. And if we weren't weak, we wouldn't need it. And one of the things that is amazing about the Christian walk is we said on an episode recently, it's not a hospital. That's not what the church is. It's a rehab center. We're going to learn how to do something and be back to where we were supposed to be in the very beginning. We're relearning what life should be about. Mercy and man go hand in hand because without it, man will always be lost. Mm. And it, if that's because of God's weakness, then we have a misunderstanding of what the Bible teaches. So yes, it's a sign of weakness, but not how people might want to say it. Some might say God needs to be wrathful and vengeful, but he's merciful. Well, and and the power of God is displayed by his mercy. The gospel is described in many places as power. Romans 1 16, the power of God unto salvation. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 18 and other places it talks about the power the preaching of the gospel and the power that goes with it and so it's not weakness it's actually the opposite of weakness it's powerful it, it, it's what allows us to be saved even though again we don't deserve it yeah absolutely well I think adding to both of those points it's, it's almost like a formula you can look at because on the one hand we need mercy because weakness exists on the other hand mercy can only be shown by those in power and in Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 
and 29 in particular, Jesus says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It says that he is meek and lowly. Meekness is defined as strength under control. God has the power to delve out judgment as he sees fit. He has the power to destroy us for what we've done. Right. But because man was weak and because God wanted to show that he had the power to forgive, he expressed meekness. He restrained from that power and gave us the opportunity. He gave us that opportunity. We see that in Genesis chapter three as well. I mean, think about what God could have done with that situation. This is the perfect creation that he had made. And he said that man was very good, even more than the perfect creation that he had. He says, this is the cream of the crop. We read in James that we are to be a first fruits of his creatures. That's how he views mankind. And they betrayed him. They just looked at him, looked at all he had given them and stabbed him in the back. But instead of just wiping them out, I mean, you think about it, he could have just wiped them out and started over again. Yeah. It would have been easy for God to do. I mean, he'd just done it. But instead, he gave them a choice. He gave them an opportunity to come back to him. He expressed that meekness and that mercy all in one form. So really, what God showed was far from weakness exactly. by showing mercy. He showed more power than many of us could even dream of understanding. Well, right. and, and we live in a world where might makes right, and it's all about being strong. Mm -hmm. And if you show any kind of mercy to somebody, well, that's weak. But when you're the recipient of mercy, you have a totally different perspective on it. Well, and, and you think about the sacrifice that was required so that we could have mercy. And if we were to somehow try to put ourselves in God's shoes, how many of us could even fathom doing what God did for us? Well, yeah. there's no way we could. I That's mean, right. mm -hmm. I know I look at the love that I have for my son and, you know, you, you like to think maybe altruistically that you might would sacrifice your son for X amount of people, but would you really do it? Yeah, you right. know, God really did it. He, he sacrificed his son. Yes. You know. And the love that he had for his son, but the love that he had for us so much that he was willing to sacrifice his son is truly unfathomable and, and amazing. Well, even adding on to that thought of what you what you just described there with how many of us would do that, we think about the position of God and Jesus in that situation. How many people do we see that when they're told they're about to die, fall apart? I mean, they absolutely break down under the stress and the strain of what that was. Jesus knew from the moment he was born what was going to happen to him. Right. He lived 33 years knowing I'm going to die in one of the most gruesome ways imaginable. And instead of breaking under that pressure, he stood in the Garden of Eden, or the Garden of Gethsemane, excuse me, and prayed to his father, if it be any other way, right. you know, I'll do it, but not as I will but thy will be done. He had the strength to say, look, this is the plan, right? This is what has to happen. Yep. He could have called all those legions of angels, right? But instead showed mercy, you know, showed mercy to everybody in that situation. I think about too, is, is I know we're kind of going off a little bit, but when Malchus's ear was cut off, Jesus restored that ear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I've always yeah. wondered, man, I wonder how Malchus must have felt in that moment. He didn't have to extend that mercy. That's just who he was. And that's who God is. He is a God of mercy. To describe him that way is pretty important. Uh, and so we, we've defined mercy. We've, de we've noticed that that's a description of God. We've noticed that mercy is a sign of weakness from a human perspective, but it's not a sign of weakness on God's right. side. But now let's think about this. We've kind of already touched on it, I believe. What is the most difficult case of mercy that has ever been shown? I think it kind of is... A situation that's hard to determine based on a yeah. broad spectrum like that but 
you, you see the situation of Christ coming to earth and what he did in that sense and how that would have been a horrible experience. Mm-hmm. But we also can look at a situation of mercy. God extended mercy to Judas. Yeah. Judas re- rejected that opportunity. I mean, you think about it. How do you think God would have accepted him back if he had done what he did and then made it right? He did with Peter. Yeah, he did with Peter. Peter did the same thing. Yeah. In a less, I mean, he didn't actually sure. say that he was giving him over to the Pharisees, but right. Peter rejected him as well. Yeah. Right. He saw yeah. what was happening, denied him, and left. So he offered it to Judas, even the man who had caused all this to happen. But the reality was this was the prophecy. This was what was going to happen. But Judas still had that opportunity of mercy as well, but rejected it. Wow. Peter and Judas are two good examples. What else? I struggle with saying that Jesus' example was the most difficult case Mm -hmm. because we've said that we would do anything for those that we love. And when we read that God so loved the world— that he gave his only begotten son, then I know that God loved me enough to redeem me. But I do know that that was a difficult thing to do, to to offer up your child. You know, your only begotten son is not easy. But I I would look at it almost threefold. I would say the chief example would have to be Christ. I I, I can't take that away from him. That just seems seems unscriptural to do that (laughs) when we read the whole message of the Bible is Jesus is coming to provide mercy and grace and hope. I think the second example, though, that can really kind of come to mind has to be the church showing mercy uh, when there are people who have stumbled. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you have a group of people in Corinth that are basically glorying in their tolerance and acceptance. Mm -hmm. And Paul says, you deliver such a one to Satan, you get rid of him, you take him and you withdraw from him. And they did that too well. I mean, they they went too far with it. And he had to write in the very next letter, hey, I know I told you to withdraw from him, but he's changed. Reaffirm your love to him. Be merciful to him. Show him what you expect to be shown. And the third one has to be myself. In Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant, Mm -hmm. the man who had such great mercy shown to him, who did not go out and show it to others, is a cautionary tale in verse 35 where he says, my father will do to you if you also are not forgiving. If you're not someone who's known to show mercy, mercy won't be shown to you. And so the most difficult cases of mercy that have ever been shown, obviously Jesus's example is chief. The church comes second because that's hard to do. And there are times where hurt feelings take place and people just say, you know what? I'm going to pick up my ball and I'm going to go home. And that's not what mercy is. Mercy, in in some cases, like we said, it's punishment due that's withheld. That's also meaning that if somebody's trying to do what's right and they've changed, I don't continue to bring wrath toward them. Jude 1, 22 and 23, some you save with compassion, others you save with fear. We can't save everybody the same way. And that final one is myself. If I don't show forgiveness and mercy to those that are around me on my daily life and in my daily walk with Christ, I cannot be surprised if I don't get mercy back. That's Galatians 6 in chapter 6, 1 through 7. Mm-hmm. We always say, you reap what you sow. Right? And that's not what the verse is talking about just right. generically. It's, it's speaking specifically about what's been taking place in those first six verses, which is this. If we were to retranslate Galatians 6, 7, it'd be better translated this. If you are not a burden bearer, 
No one will bear your burdens for you and help you. You reap what you sow. If you sow to the flesh corruption, you'll reap corruption. If you sow to your spiritual life the type of person who is not merciful, then you will reap the non-mercy of God. It'll be an unmerciful end for you. And so that... That's a roundabout way of saying it's still Jesus number one, yep. but we do have to look at the church and ourselves to make sure that we're in check with what we need to be. Right well, now. I think the the me there, because my mind immediately went to Luke 23 when Jesus said, Father, forgive them that know not what they do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about a moment mm-hmm. of mercy for the people who have just been yelling, crucify him, crucify him, couldn't wait for him to see that. And yet I need to realize that I'm at the foot of the cross when he said that, yep. you know? And we talked about that in Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in trespassing sins. God, who is rich in mercy, had you in mind. Right. So that's really good to bring out the you there. Yeah. What about the Apostle Paul? Yeah. I think about that in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He said, but but I obtained mercy. I did it ignorantly and unbelief. This is somebody who was killing Christians, and he was on his way to do even more damage. And God distributed and exhibited his mercy for Paul and for the rest of the world. Paul is a case study of the mercy of God, in my estimation. I mean, yeah. you, take, you take somebody from that background and turn them into such an influential person in the kingdom. We're still talking about it today. We've referenced the book of Galatians, Ephesians. Coming from a background of somebody who obtained mercy, mm-hmm. it's extremely important. Absolutely. I've got one uh, from the parables, but that really gets into our last point. So I yeah, think I'll save mine. Right. I'll sure. save mine for, for our last point. For but. sure. I think Absolutely. just to kind of add on to what you were talking about there with the Apostle Paul and, you know, the attitude that he had, he viewed himself as chief among sinners. He did. You know, yeah. He viewed himself as I've done so much wrong. And I, I think about that mercy and forgiveness are kind of coinciding words. Sure. They Amen. have to exist together. Mm-hmm. And I think about what happened in Matthew chapter six and Jesus speaking on the parable on the Mount. He says in verse 14, he says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive your trespasses. Follow that in verse 15. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly father forgive your trespasses. God is from the get go trying to express to his people that you're supposed to have the same kind of mercy that I do. He solved the situation. And with Paul, you know, he has this moment of, he feels like it's the worst of the worst that he had, he had seen this mercy and he understood it probably better than a lot of us do. Because, you know, while we don't express ourselves and say there's so many, you know, sins of that guy's way worse than I am or Mm -hmm. something like that. That's not the point. We all come before the cross. And we all have sin in our lives, as we read in Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. But we have this attitude that we should have of forgiveness. Yeah. We have that attitude. We want to remove that guilt. We want to be able to leave that behind. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at the idea of forgiveness, it can be difficult sometimes even to forgive ourselves. Yeah. You know, right. you have sometimes we hold that guilt over ourselves even more than God does. And that can cause us to veer away. That can cause us to fall in our own faith. Because right. if I can't even forgive myself... How can I believe God will forgive me? Yeah, good point. Got to be able to, to, to give ourselves mercy sometimes too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's some great thoughts. Hopefully it helps us all appreciate mercy more. Uh, but we do have one more point we want to get to. But before we do that and transition, I'm going to turn things over to Michael because we have a special sponsor. He's going to uh, say a few things about our sponsor. Yeah, the Memphis School of Preaching was kind enough to give us these camelback uh, little I never know what to call them. They're, they're like a Yeti, but they don't keep it cool or hot for a long period of time. This is already off the rails, but we're going to go with it. And the Memphis School of Preaching was gracious enough to give each of our hosts those for these episodes this year on the Scatter the Broad Joint podcast. We're grateful to MSOP for all the work that they do 
All of our hosts that have been on the show this season have been sponsored already by MSOP and the two-year education that they received. We're grateful so much for all of the efforts that they put in training gospel preachers. And if you're interested in going to learn about preaching the gospel, you can look in the show notes and all of the school's information will be there. And you can come to an event like Polishing the Pulpit. Our students do that every year that PTP has been going on. For the last several years, our students have been attending that great event. And we're thankful that PTP is back and that MSOP students are back attending. So if you have anything that you want to know more about MSOP or you want to report on the school, check out the show notes for more information on that. And we're grateful to MSOP for sponsoring this episode. Amen. Well said. And uh, we all appreciate MSOP very, very much. So as we, we transition to this final point, we've already kind of touched on it about how Jesus was able to implement mercy in his ministry. But on this one, let's think about this because we find in Acts chapter 1 and verse 1 what Jesus began to do and to teach. So he was able to walk the walk and talk the talk. But specifically, how did Jesus teach mercy during his ministry? Well, I think mercy is all over the parables. There's several that yeah. really teach the, the concept of mercy. A couple that, I, that really come to my mind would be in Luke chapter 18, the uh, parable of the Pharisee and the publican. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Pharisee gets up and has this elaborate speech of a prayer, and I'm so thankful I'm not like this guy over here. <laughs> the publican gets up and he says, Father, please be merciful to me, a sinner. Right. He got it. He understood that ultimately he needed the mercy of God. He, he realized who he was, how little he was compared to God and what God did for him, and, and he needed mercy. And so he begged for the mercy of God. Another one uh, is uh, Luke chapter 10, the Good Samaritan. Yeah. A certain lawyer comes up and thinks he's got Jesus. And so he he wants to know, okay, what I need to do to inherit eternal life. And, and Jesus tells him, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, what else, basically, <laughs> is the idea. And Jesus gives him this parable of the good Samaritan. And you've got uh, this guy who is on the road to Jerusalem to Jericho and gets beaten up, robbed, uh, stripped of his clothing. He's laying there. He needs help. A priest comes by. Well, surely a priest would understand mercy. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he walks by, looks at him, hmm, and keeps going. Then a Levite comes by, walks Same at thing. him, looks at him, keeps going. Then a Samaritan comes by and the Samaritan takes care of him, binds his wounds, takes him to an inn. Here, take care of him. Here's some money. You can, whatever he needs, take care of it. I'll pay when I get back. At the end of the parable, uh, Jesus asks, who was the neighbor to this man? The young lawyer, he doesn't say the Samaritan. It's almost like he can't can't bring it upon himself to utter the words, mm -hmm. the Samaritan. So he's, what does he say? He says, the one who showed mercy to him. Jesus showed mercy. And the point is, look, there's a way that we're supposed to treat our fellow human beings. And we need to reflect on the mercy that God showed us. And it needs to come out in how we treat other people. That's right. He said, go and do likewise. Right. Absolutely. You be merciful to them. Yeah. I think about John chapter 8 and how really Jesus taught. We, we discussed that earlier, right, as we started the second point mm -hmm. was that Jesus talked and walked the walk That's right. and Jesus taught so much through his actions that it was almost comparable to how much he taught in his words, if yeah. not more so. And in John chapter eight, we see this really manifest itself as he sees this woman caught in adultery. And we, we know throughout the scriptures that the Pharisees, that the leaders of the day were constantly trying to trap Jesus and trying to trip him up so that he could do something that they could get him for. Mm -hmm. 
Well, in this situation, they bring this woman caught in adultery, and the law said he she was to be stoned. Yeah. But Jesus did something there that was really powerful and impressive. They were focused on, we're trying to get Jesus. They weren't focused on the justice of what was taking place. They weren't worried about the law. They were worried about getting Jesus. And Jesus expressed mercy to this woman. He says, after it, when these people come before him, he says, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. Well, naturally, no one's going to have that attitude of, well, I've committed no sin. Mm -hmm. And even though they may not have thought Jesus was right on these things or may not have believed in what he said, there's a level of pride there that they weren't willing to cross that line. They weren't willing to say, I'm without sin. And so they all left. And Jesus looks up and says, where are your accusers? There's none left. Neither do I condemn you. Go thy way and sin no more. He temporarily removed her guilt until she did something else. He told her not to sin anymore. He offered her the way out, just like Judas was offered that way out, just like everyone else was. So she had a choice to make in that, but Jesus showed mercy and taught it at the same time. Absolutely. So I'm going to be very quick, but Matthew 18, (laughs) 21 through 22, uh, we have the beginning of this unforgiving servant, and it's because Peter says, Lord, how often do I do that forgiveness thing that you were just talking about in verses 15 through 17? up to seven times, and often I've heard people be very mean toward Peter. How dare he say that? Well, the Talmud required only three. Long before baseball drew, yep. it was three I'm strikes, sorry. you're out. You're right about the that. Talmud <laughs> was very strict, and so Peter takes three. He adds three to it, and he takes another one onto it for good measure and says, how about seven? Is that going to be enough? And Jesus says, seven's not merciful enough. Seven, yes, but 70 times seven. Always make sure that we're showing mercy as we want mercy shown to us. What about this, uh, what Jesus said in Matthew 9, verse 13, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And quoting, of course, from uh, Hosea chapter 6, I desire mercy and not sacrifices. Uh, In the Old Testament context of Hosea, was God saying, you know what? Forget all those sacrifices I told you you have to make. I don't like those anymore. Is that what he was saying? No, he wasn't saying that. He required the sacrifices, Mm -hmm. but he wanted them to understand the big concept of mercy and mercy being, uh, you know, those sacrifices paving the way for their mercy, looking forward to the the upcoming sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who would then take care of their sins through his blood. And so that's the point. And sometimes we we tend to miss the forest for the trees. Mm -hmm. Why is it that we do everything that we do for God? It should be because we love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's why we do what we do. That's why we, we worship the way He told us to worship. That's why we, we organize the church the way that He organized it, and we realize that Jesus is the head of it. Mm-hmm. Everything that we do, every motivation, on down to what we talked about a moment ago, our prayers. Is it about showing off like the Pharisee? No, it's about coming before God and approaching his holy name and realizing at the end of the day, we deserve punishment. But if we're children of God, if we're Christians and we're living faithfully, then we will not receive the punishment that we deserve. We will receive mercy. That's right. Guys, we've talked about this, this topic of mercy. It's a simple topic. It's really simple to understand, but how beautiful it is to really think about. We've obtained it. Uh, So we've noticed God is the father of mercy uh, Jesus exhibited that perfectly in his ministry, what he did for us on the cross. And now we have the responsibility as Christians to be merciful to others around us. And so I appreciate all of your comments today. And 
for you listening, thank you so much for being with us today as we've discussed our God and His mercy. Uh, we encourage you, if you haven't already, to check us out on Facebook, on Instagram, check out our YouTube page. But most importantly, we ask that you will pray for this effort as we strive to do this to the glory of God. Thank you so much for listening. May God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.